Hi guys, it's Harris, the director of Story here with a very important update on our upcoming Wonder Workshops with Brad Montague. At this time of recording, there are less than 10 seats left for the Nashville Workshop, and Chicago is filling up fast as well. If you're considering being a part of what is promising to be an unforgettable day of instruction and inspiration, go register now on the site storygatherings.com. Remember, the cost of registration goes up on January 19th, and that's obviously if there are any seats left at all. So don't miss it. And now on this episode of the Story Podcast, we sit down in L.A. with artist, activist, and Disney Imagineer Nicholas Smith to talk about how art can spark important cultural conversations and the discipline of creating on a consistent basis. There are things meant for you that are currently beyond your imagination. The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. Your greatest work may not be seen by millions of people. Keep making anything. To be a writer, we have to sit down and we have to do the work and we don't get up until it's finished. The only hope we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound by what is possible. We are proud to be storytellers. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Story Podcast. I am Harris III. I am here this week with Sammy Harvey, and it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. MLK. It's one of my favorite holidays. Mm, me too. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a somber holiday. You know, it's not like Fourth of July where we set off all these fireworks. Um, it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of dark history connected to it, um, but at the same time, I feel like it's a holiday that's filled with so much hope. Absolutely, absolutely, which is why I'm so excited to have our friend Nicholas Smith on the show today. He is a artist, he's an architect, he's a Disney Imagineer, and he's also an activist. Yeah. And um, I, he has a lot of amazing, his work is incredible, and I was really excited to be able to hear him on the show, kind of explain his processes and how he became to be an artist and now work at Disney. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, he's an interesting guy because his, his personality in person isn't super loud. You know, I think mm -hmm. he's more like you. I think you, you're totally okay oh, being totally. the person sitting in the corner quietly, just <laughs> monitoring the situation. Yeah. I it just want to watch. Yeah, yeah. In a big group of people, Nicholas would be that guy in a chair in the corner with a sketch pad, like drawing something and not, not saying very much. But what he says through his art is very loud. He's certainly not scared of taking on any cultural topic or conversation to the point there. A lot of his art has actually been pretty controversial. Mm. Um, so I'm excited about this conversation, too. I think MLK was an amazing storyteller. People may not think of him as that, but, you know, him him standing up on a platform and saying, I have a dream. That was him telling a different story. He was establishing this new narrative and mm. it may not have been reality yet but he got people to imagine that story with him so that they could all live it out together. Um, so what a perfect day for someone like Nicholas. If you're not familiar with his work, um, once you discover it, you'll understand why, but this is a perfect conversation for a day like today uh, and a week like this week where we're uh, remembering all the work that MLK did. So hope you enjoy this interview with uh, Nicholas Smith. Kellen was supposed to be in on this interview. <laughs> Poor Kellen, she was sick uh, the few days while we were in LA. And she's like, do you mind if I sit in on the conversation with Nick? I was like, absolutely, please be there. And I think we greeted her and she got out like one sentence. And started, <laughs> she started she coughing left. and <laughs> she had to leave. Poor Kellen. Uh, so you're going to hear Kellen early on and then she'll probably disappear. Uh, so don't be confused. It's because she was, she was coughing and she wanted to leave the studio. Um, so she didn't, she didn't interfere. Um, so this is uh, Kellen starting a conversation with me and then me finishing it the rest of the hour. Enjoy this one. Nick is a, a great young artist you should be aware of. So there's, here's our interview with Nicholas Smith. Enjoy. so excited to talk to Nick. I know. And Kellen's here to Hello, jump in and be a part of it. It's like a little story reunion right now. Yes. Yeah. I love when we get to sit down and talk to uh, people on the podcast who spoke at the previous story conference that year um, because we have so much more context to go off of, right? Because we got to see your talk and hear what you had to say. And 
we had this long relationship leading up to the conference of you know going back and forth about what you're going to talk about and learning more about your story. And so I'm excited to deep dig in a little bit deeper and find out more. So, yes, as am I. Welcome to LA. <laughs> thank you. It's always good to be in LA. Uh, I kind of I'm beginning to feel like this is my second home. Um, that's not a bad thing. That's not yeah. a bad thing. Yeah, and there's just a, there's such amazing people here. John, my friend John Booker, who's playing the role of producer on these episodes. Usually, I have to lug all my gear around. He's like, "Man, I got a I have a podcast recording studio at my house. Why don't you just <laughs> leave your gear in the car and come use my stuff?" So there's just so many kind people here. Um, I'm gonna go back to. Uh, <clears throat> The very first day I officially met you in person, finally, I got to come by Imagineering. Yep. We had lunch in your cool little cafeteria mm-hmm. over there, and there was this, like, timid quietness to you. But I don't think that you're a shy person, <laughs> right? Would you say that you're shy? I would. Uh, okay. Well, I'm an introvert. Um, okay. I don't know how to categorize it all, but <laughs> I am. I'm the youngest of, of six kids, and... You know, I was always the one at the end of the line, you know, like looking down at my shoes and not making eye contact and, you know, being, you know, being in my own head and being an introvert. So, yes. Yeah. Because so, it surprised <laughs> me a lot because on the phone, you you know, you're always like you, you had all these amazing things to say and then I show up at Imagineering and it's not that you didn't have anything amazing to say. <laughs> it's that I was sitting across the table from you going, you, you know, like you feel free to talk about this and you could talk about this and. I remember you just constantly smiling, going, "Okay." Yeah. And, <laughs> and then every now and then you pull out your phone, and then like right. you were so concerned that uh, like you didn't want to make it seem like you were being rude. So you're like, uh, "Just so you know, I'm just taking notes. I'm not like you know checking my phone or something." Yeah, it's it's all in my head, and sometimes I have to force myself to get it out of my head so that people know that I'm like alive and. Yeah. yeah. So that so that is my goal. Of this interview is so because you're that quiet, sometimes shy person that's at the back of the line staring down at your shoes. I want to in this interview try to figure out what's inside that head of yours. What's going on in okay. there? Uh, cool. So uh, let's let's start with uh, your journey to Imagineering. Right? Okay. How, how did you end up going from the shy kid in the back of the line to ending up at a place like Disney? Okay, so shy kid back of the line in Houston, Texas. Um, I let's see. Uh, I always wanted to draw, but I never thought I'm gonna be an artist when I grow up. So I never really, I didn't really know like what profession I wanted to like jump into. Um, so I decided. Well, I wanted to go to University of Texas, um, as all my friends did. And my mom was like, no, you should probably get out of Texas. Um, So we kind of collaborated on a move to Hampton University, which is in Virginia. And there I studied architecture because I was like, I like to draw and I'm good at math. So architecture. Um, But it didn't really click for me that, you know, art might be my passion until way later but I did go to you know I went I went to school for architecture learned a lot about you know the principles of design and I think that helped my art um but that's ironically that was the key um for me to get to Imagineering because once I got there I found out oh there's this Disney competition called Imaginations and you know they're offering us an opportunity to actually have a career to work at Imagineering and design Disneyland. And I never thought up until that point that, you know, there's a design firm that makes Disneyland. I just, <laughs> it never dawned on me that that was a thing. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of the gateway. Why, why do you think your mom said we need to get you out of Texas? Um, for one, um, I grew up in predominantly white schools and, <laughs> Uh, it's pretty much the same thing for University of Texas, and so um, for one, it was it was it was an opportunity to experience um, a little bit more of the black culture that I never got, um, and so that was that was an opportunity to go to a historically black college, and so um, that's where my oldest brother went, and so you know it it was kind of a way to um, just help me see that there's like there's more there's there there's so much out there in the world that I hadn't seen yet and she was right and um so um 
Were yeah. There, were there any like these? <clears throat> can you think back to a memory of an epiphany where you arrive in Virginia and you're like, "Whoa, this is totally different." Now I get it. Yeah, when I saw snow <laughs> for the first time. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I mean, know, I know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, other than snow, um, it, one thing it's Hampton's kind of like a melting pot um, of different cultures from all over. Uh, you got a lot of kids coming up from New York, um, coming down from New York, coming up from the South, and really just all over. And um, so. That was my first time seeing um, dozens of different black cultures. Like I had only seen one black church culture up until then, you know, in Houston, and so that was that was kind of eye opening for me um, to see that you know there's there's not just one you know stereotypical cut of black person. It it ranged and it ranged greatly at Hampton. So um, that was that was interesting, and then combine that with like the, you know, like the African American um, history studies classes and things like that that I never got growing up. Um, you know, it was just it was really it was a different take on um, the history books, different take on um, what you're you know, what, what you're taught is history and, and what's supposed to be history and what's supposed to be taught. And so, um, yeah, it was just different. Yeah. Yeah. When it, how, was it, was it at Hampton that you went from realizing maybe I shouldn't just be drawing buildings, but I think I can draw these characters that are part of a story? Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, one thing was I, I somehow, ended up in the the school paper office and they were asking me to draw stuff for them so I ended up doing political cartoons so that was that was kind of my first step to um, you know drawing characters with stories you know actual political figures that were in the news um, and and things that you know people were seeing on the on on the news every day um, that didn't really have anything to do with, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright or Mies or like, you know, some old architects that not many people know about. Um, so it was, it was, uh, it was a little bit more, it was kind of my, one of my first steps into, um, my art telling a story. I'd say. Yeah. So then you somehow go straight from Hampton straight to Imagineering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. There so was no was... like I gotta I'm gonna go do an internship or I'm gonna go like do this for a year or two being a personal assistant somewhere and try to get at a big firm. Yeah, just, I, I did went... the firm thing for a couple of a couple of summers, um, interning in, in Norfolk and in, in Hampton, um, doing the architecture firm thing. But in two thousand seven, like a year before we graduated, was when we did the imaginations competition and that was that was um you know the life-changing moment we we made it to the finals and they flew us out here to LA and um that was that was the one point where we were like okay this could actually be a career um and so I you know I thought that was that was probably the way to go you know probably the thing to put my my energy towards um rather than trying to you know, I always thought I'd find a firm in Houston and, you know, move graduate and move back home. Yeah, <laughs> move back home and I'd be doing like, I don't know, Kroger buildings or something. I don't know, like <laughs> residential homes or something. Yeah. Were you already a fan of Disney as a kid? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, I wasn't, I didn't, you know, I wasn't like the biggest of, of like Disney fan, but, um, I went once or twice, and you know. So. You at least had you had an awareness of how legendary of a place it was that you were interacting yeah. with during those college days. For sure, yeah. Uh, my my dad got us all somehow, and it should get us all down there to Disney World when I was in middle school, and that was like my first experience with the parks, and um, you know that was just one of the best trips I've ever had. 
And then I think I went one more time in high school. So, yeah, I was, I was familiar, but... Is there a memory from that trip in middle school that still stands out to you? That's, that was kind of a, uh, a, a defining, shaping moment for you? Yes, it was the uh, alien encounter um, where it was, it was totally not typical Disney PG um, attraction, but it was this alien that like somehow like broke loose and then he's like the the lights go out and he's like crawling around on the ceiling and then you hear some like bones break and like this liquid falls on you or something and it was <laughs> it doesn't sound like a Disney attraction but it was awesome and now it's like Lilo and Stitch's alien encounter and it's like oh uh, yeah it's not it's not as uh gruesome but that <laughs> in middle school that was the most amazing thing that I've ever seen um that was cool and then you know just i think just being in tomorrowland that day was was a huge eye-opener for me interesting driving those cars around (laughs) yeah you know those i to this day like every time you go this just the lines are so long uh at the what is it called the race is it the raceway tomorrowland raceway speedway or something like that yeah yeah so now it's crazy so now you work for the company. Now you're an official Disney Imagineer, yep. and you, you that means you probably spend a lot of time in the parks, I guess, to go in and see yes. things that you have designed and built and helped create. Yes. Um, are, there, are there moments where the curtain is pulled back too much and you find yourself losing out on the, the magic um. that you experienced <laughs> when you were a middle schooler? Or is it still the same feeling of awe and wonder? It's I, I think it's just a different type of magic. Like, yeah, the, the curtains pulled back all the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, going in into the R and D studio and like seeing like literally how they construct every every piece of the audio animatronics and you know, all the nuts and bolts and ins and outs of every robot and everything you've ever seen. And all the special illusions and effects and like you see it all and it's but it's like magical to see the you know the inside of it you know it's it's a whole different type of magic like so at that point there's all these signs that say like you know don't spoil the magic and um so like really like behind the scenes yeah those like, signs are posted like in yeah in the in our offices and stuff <laughs> <laughs> don't spoil the magic like there, there's you know sometimes people will, will We'll have like uh, open house events, and you know it might be open to the public every now and then, and we try to we try to show a little bit of that, but try not to let it spill out into the public, even though occasionally it might end yeah. up on the internet. <laughs> what uh, there's a isn't there an old story of of Walt Disney? Like I don't know if it's in Disneyland. It must have been in Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, I don't know, he was like on the train with somebody in one of the worlds, and there's a story of like a guy driving a construction truck or something working in, and he flips out because he's like, you just, we work so hard to keep somebody in this imaginary world yeah. based on their surroundings and the feeling that we're giving them, and the story that's being told. And in the moment they saw your mm-hmm. construction truck or landscaping truck, you snapped them right out of that. Yeah, that, that, that sounds right. I, I haven't heard that, but that sounds like, Something that so is probably that a, happened. <laughs> is, is that is that in line with a philosophy that you see, kind of ingrained in Imagineering culture? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, you know, it's all it's it's just like like any illusionist. Like you you can't you can't let that that wall be broken. You know, you have to you have to keep that you know that environment and that story. Yeah, and and so. We, we work really hard to try to make sure that that's the only thing the guests see. You know, whether it's, um, you know, a certain type of paint that we might use uh, at the top of a building to make it, you know, blend into the sky or some foliage or something to, to the effect that once you get into the theme park, like, you're in another world and you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be broken away from that until you're ready to go home, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's it's a full-time job, 
<laughs> Tell us about some of the stuff that you've learned. It's okay if this crosses over with some of the talk that you gave a story this year. What if, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that you've learned by working in a culture like Disney Imagineering? Oh man. Um, um, things that you feel like if you went, if you ever had to go to another job or work for a different company, these are things that you would, that you would take with you that are now ingrained in you. And, and it might be just the sheer character of Walt Disney himself, the things that he embodied. And so you guys are trying to carry that, that torch forward, right? So yeah. what, what is it that is, what makes Disney Imagineering, Disney Imagineering? Why is it so special and different from everything else? Because it does seem like there's something magical taking place in that building. Yeah, all the time. I mean, I'd say one of the I always I always think of um, one of Walt's quotes where he was saying like, uh, "The best way to get started is to uh, quit talking and begin doing." Um, that's that's kind of one of the one of the themes that you'll recognize throughout the you know the project process. Um, Does that come up in meetings? Like, all right, time to stop talking. Time to go start doing yes. it. <laughs> and it's like that I feel like that's the embodiment of of what we call the the blue sky phase or you know like blue sky is like it's basically pulling ideas out of out of the blue sky. And mm-hmm. so it's 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 really it's the time it's at the very beginning and it's not a big long talking session. It's like let's get our ideas down. And um, it's also one of the things that uh, Marty Sklar would talk about was the that blank sheet of paper that that can be so you know fearful for some people, and that's one thing that that he always talked about. Like we just got to get something down on paper. Like you, you you can't you can't let the blank page like totally paralyze you. And so the blue sky in the blue sky phase, it doesn't it doesn't matter how crazy your idea is. Like just put it down there you know it doesn't matter if it's something that you 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 thought you'd never mention or tell anybody just you know is this all taking place like is there just a big room and then like all the teams come together and everyone brainstorms and just starts throwing out ideas is there there like some sort of actual process to it yeah i think um usually it just it just depends on like what kind of team you're on um um usually there's probably like smaller breakout breakout sessions uh, for t- per team and you know just you know getting it out there um kind of um yeah that's that's probably all I can say about that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's uh it's hard to it's hard to interview a Disney Imagineer. Yeah. Call. It's, like, it's like trying to interview a magician about how his, how his tricks work. It's like, right. uh, yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't talk about that. That's part of the Disney process. But, but I mean, aren't there people who are within Disney Imagineering that like travel and speak and say, here's the Imagineering way? Yes. Yes. And I have not been uh, assigned to do that yet. <laughs> um, one day, maybe. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Can you tell us uh, your favorite project that you worked on? Mm, favorite i don't know i guess attraction do you guys call them attractions or projects yeah attractions um i'm i don't know i feel like maybe my my latest one was was the most memorable maybe just because it's the latest one but um shanghai disneyland uh got a chance to work on uh challenge trail in adventure isle which is um maybe one of the most uh daring and insanely crazy ideas that we've ever pulled off but um it's it's a it's a ropes course um where you put on a harness and you know you might go up 50 100 feet in the air and you're on like rickety bridges and you know single tiny little ropes and you know traversing along cliffs and there's this giant waterfall and it's uh it's a crazy experience and it's nothing like anything you've ever done at a Disney park. Um, and so just, um, I had an opportunity to, you know, work on the 3d modeling and the construction package for that. And, um, that was an intense, uh, experience because we, there's no, there's no blueprint on, you know, it's not like a pirates of the Caribbean or something where like, we've done this, we know kind of how to do this. Like they're, there was no blueprint. It was just 
there's no pre pre-established characters or worlds that have been created on film that yeah. you have to just kind of duplicate. Yeah, so, so it, it's, it, it's really a blank canvas. Yeah, it's new. It's it's totally <laughs> unique. So so why is it unique? Because there's a lot of ropes courses out there. So what what did Disney Imagineering do that made it not just another ropes course? Yeah, it's this it's this gigantic mountain that it's attached to. I think um, it's inside the mountain. You're gonna find a uh, a crocosaurus, which is which is a uh, very large crocodile dinosaur. I don't yeah, know. I've, it's a, I've it's seen a big one before. <laughs> I've seen one before. We have them in Tennessee. Those yeah, those things <laughs> in the swamps. Um, so uh, it's it's part ropes course, part raft ride. So on the on the other side, you have this raft ride that goes into the mountain, and uh, you're kind of like trying to get away from this croc, and um, it's just it's just massive like a massive mountain that feels and looks totally real like straight from nature and um so that's it's another one of those things where it's like you're just immersed in this world like it it feels like you went to um yosemite or something yeah and you know just decided to go into a mountain totally yeah so and that's i mean that's really the difference between the magic of Walt Disney and like your average experience at a like Six Flags theme park, right? I'd say so. It's like you're getting, you're coming up to an attraction and it's taking you into this other world. Mm-hmm. And there's a narrative that's taking place and a story that's being told and you get a chance to enter into that story. Yep. That's what's so magical about Disneyland and Disney World to me is, you know, you're, you're walking into the story that you were just sitting in a seat in a movie theater watching take place on a screen. Mm-hmm. Now you're entering into that world. Is that something that you guys talk about and kind of harp on a lot? Yeah, it's it's always a it's always a theme. It's it's like part of our DNA. You know, it's like yeah, there's really no other way to go about it. Is you know, it's got to be fully immersive. It's gotta it's gotta have the story at the front. Fully immersive. Yeah, I think that's that's a great way to describe it. Yep. Yeah. So. I had a chance to interact with uh, I don't I don't know if she was actually the the leader on your team that you answered to, but I think she was maybe like one of the higher ups on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I had a chance to talk to her a little about Imagineering culture, and I was fascinated by how much freedom you guys have to actually work on other projects outside of Imagineering, mm-hmm. right? So you have some other stuff that is obviously uh, and naturally become uh, the talking points that you're really passionate about. Uh, before we jump into some of those, um, can you speak at all to that to that freedom? You, that what Disney's been pretty cool with you going out and doing some other really awesome stuff. Yeah, they have. They've been very supportive. Um, Why do you think that is? Um, I think it's you know they they talk a lot about work life balance, and um, it's you start to realize really really quick uh, when you're when you're in you know the when you're on the Imagineering grounds and you spend so much of your time there and it's, it's, it is a magical, happy place. Um, but you realize quickly that it's, it's only a part of, of who you are as a person. Um, and there's, there's a, there's a lot more to the employees. And, um, you know, oftentimes we, we have our, our different avenues of expressing who we are, you know, the rest of who we are. You know, and so they 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 really focus a lot on work life balance and and making sure that the Imagineers are, you know, kind of happy in that regard, so that they're they're balanced and they're they're not giving a hundred and ten percent to work, you know, and that everything is about that day and night. But you know, you go home and you you maybe take off your Imagineering hat and do other things. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So what was one of those first other things that you did? Um, that I well, interestingly, uh, it was because of Imagineering that I started doing this because they started giving digital painting classes at work. Oh, but once so there's I, more to the story I haven't heard. Yeah, so once I started doing those classes, that was probably like 2009. Um, uh, I just started picking up Photoshop, you know, digital painting, and so I'd go home and I would just. Is this on like an iPad or something like that? Um, just like yeah, my MacBook. Um, I have a little Wacom tablet that I hook up to it, and you know, so um, I was going through a, a pretty tough time 
in my life. And one of my friends encouraged me to just use that, use that sketching, painting thing to, you know, just get my thoughts out, get my emotions out and, you know, paint my way through it. And so I just started doing my own sketches at that time. And so I, I, I call them Sunday sketches. I did, I would do, I would take maybe two hours to do a sketch every Sunday. And I was like, I'm just going to sketch. I'm just going to do one painting every Sunday until, you know, my mood gets better. <laughs> my life gets better. Um, you, would you think there was something, something special about committing to the discipline of saying, I'm going to do this every Sunday? Yeah, that was, that was really huge. Um, just that, just, you know, that need to, uh, stick to like a routine in the, in a chaotic time, like to, to stick to some kind of routine was very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to say, I'm going to post this on social media, you know? So it's like at, at some point after a while, people start to expect you, you know, to have something every week. So it's like, there's an accountability there, even ah, though it's like... So you were posting them weekly. Yeah, weekly posts to Facebook and Instagram and all that. So, and so if you didn't post or it started getting late in the day, people were like, hey, bro, where's yeah, your sketch where, for today? Where's your stuff? <laughs> like, what's going on? That's awesome. So yeah. the tra- so the Trayvon Martin piece, that so that wasn't necessarily something that you sat down to do just at that instance. That just happened to be one of those Sunday paintings. Yeah, so that was... Um, that was one of those one of those days, and it was it was in response to, um, in response to George Zimmerman um, being found not guilty um, for the murder of Trayvon Martin, and so that was about three years ago, and and so when that happened, and I posted that, um, you know, I didn't didn't really expect a whole lot. I actually went to Disneyland with some friends and I'm standing in the I'm standing in the Carsland queue and my my friend texts me he's like um your MLK hoodie art is on CNN and I'm like what <laughs> and so like within within a few hours like you know Van Jones had retweeted it and it was all over the place and and so that that piece was was Martin Luther King Jr. in a hoodie um and it was kind of to symbolize the fact that um, you know Trayvon Martin was was kind of instantly he was judged for his his outward appearance rather than who he was as a person, and so um, yeah that that was kind of my first one of my first viral pieces and 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 that day when when George Zimmerman was found not guilty that was the first day of the Black Lives Matter movement. And um, now it's three years old, and you know I've I've just kind of been following along, and you know, unfortunately, as as more more um, occurrences take place that are tragic, you know, I I usually try to respond with some type of piece. Yeah. So. <clears throat> So knowing that piece came out of those, what did you call those again? Sunday sketches? Sunday sketches. Sunday yeah. sketches. So that just happened to be a Sunday sketch that, in your mind, randomly went viral, right? Yep. Um, so did, did that, the virality of that piece, did that, do you feel like that impacted your Sunday sketches from that point forward? Or did you, or did you try to remove the idea of, I'm not, because I think there was something, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe pure. There was something pure about the fact that you, you were saying, I'm going to do this as a discipline every Sunday. I'm not doing it in hopes that this piece ends up on CNN again. Right. So now that a piece did end up on CNN and there's all this attention coming your way, how did that change your creative process for those those next Sunday sketches? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I tried to I tried to uh, not let it influence what was what came the weeks after and the months after. Um, you know, I probably the next week probably went right back to doing just like a little doodle of like a face or something and maybe like a Disney character or something. And, um, so I, I, I tried to, maybe it's not that I, I tried to purposefully steer away from, you know, you know, an activist 
art piece that might end up on on the news but um i just tried to you know stick with what i was what i was doing all along which is whatever i'm feeling that sunday just create you know create an image based off of that so and then also i when when these things happen i don't think that they will ever happen again like like when the the mlk thing happened i was like okay well that's you know back to normal and that's not gonna happen ever again (laughs) and then a year later um uh, mike mike brown was killed and um i was listening to uh gunger and this song um which was uh what is the name? Um, you can just sing it for us. If probably, you know I think it's called Find Me. <laughs> Find Me, because, yeah, so I was listening to Find Me by Gunger, and I was like, okay, I have to do an animatic based off of this song play, while playing this song in the background. And, um, yeah, so I, I created this this piece called Finding Ferguson, which is a little um, animated video. And that was that was I think the next you know the next big viral piece and um, like Ava DuVernay shared it and um, started going around and um, did Gunger ever reach out? No, but like, I hey, did bro, meet why them. Are you using our song, I know, right? <laughs> I figured they'd be cool. <laughs> they're they're awesome. They they play here in LA all the time and I, they're amazing. But that's another talk. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was that was uh, one of that was probably the next big activist art piece that I'd done, and um, at that point, people are like, okay, they're expecting when something big happens, like Nick, where where is your sketch? Like you had to do this now, like you know, my Angelou passed away, and people were like, immediately, people were like, okay, where's your sketch? Wow, and I'm like. I can't do this. Do you feel like that 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 tainted your creative process because of that pressure that you felt? Um, because now you were you're you're producing in response to pleasing an audience versus yeah. sketching as an expression of this thing that you're feeling. Initially, in that very moment, I feel like it would, but then, um, I I immediately just use the pressure to create something and it and it works out so it's like um it actually helps surprisingly um so yeah art therapy is a thing right (laughs) yeah like and and it's funny like um all of my biggest pieces have been you know my social media fans saying like they want this you know they they want to see something and then I respond to it, and I'm like, and so it's like it's very stressful in the moment, but it it works out usually. Yeah, yeah, man, it's been, it's been really cool to see your passion uh, come alive and be expressed in some of this work, and to see what kind of opportunities that's brought you. And um, I'm next to me. People who are listening can't see this, but I'm holding a copy of. Nick's latest project, The Golden Girls of Rio. Yes. Uh, which you like you just got nominated for some kind of crazy award for this, yes, right? Yes. Yeah. Tell us about this book. So this was another Sunday sketch? Yes. At, like during the Olympics, leading up to, after the Olympics, they won the gold. Give us the rundown. And the that was another example of of social media demanding something and me giving it to them. <laughs> um but it started with me making just one piece of Simone Biles. Um, I grew up with Simone Biles' brothers in, in Spring, Texas. And so I was telling her brother, Adam, I was like, when she wins a gold medal, because she's going to win a gold medal, I'm going to do some art. And so she won her first one, and I did like an image of her, of Simone jumping up with her medal. And then the same day, Simone Manuel, who's also from Houston, won a gold medal. And everybody's like, well, you have to do one of both of them. <laughs> so I did that of, you know, the two Simones fist bumping. And that started to go viral. And um, Tracy Ellis Ross shared it on her Instagram. And, like, it got really big. And then the next day, like, the swim team won more gold medals. And um, Michelle Carter won a gold medal. And literally 
people were like, okay, well, you have to do all of them. <laughs> and that's when I, that's the one time I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. Like, there's no way I'm doing all those girls, like, on a page at one time. I usually don't do that much stuff. Um, but I'm so glad I did. It took me, like, six hours to finally be like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> and so... I, I, I created that piece with like all of the girls together and all the gold medals on Michelle Carter, around Michelle Carter's neck. And when that happened, and uh, I believe it was Sean King who shared that, um, that's when it went viral, super viral. And, you know, it, some, there was, uh, a publisher too who who saw it on Facebook and um Skyhorse Publishing called me or emailed me the next day and and proposed an idea that I make a book out of it so that happened and with because they, it's something you have tons of experience doing right yeah. writing, writing stories <laughs> <laughs> it, it was the the amount of faith that they placed on me <laughs> in me to do this um, I, I was blown away. Like they, yeah. they really let me run with it, and they were just like, you know, you have two weeks or so, two or three weeks, and you know, see what you can put together. And I made a book out of it. And they, and they were there. Uh, they helped me a lot. Um, um, Bethany Buck and the and the crew. Um, they they really helped me a lot. Um, you know, getting the story exactly right how we wanted it to be and within three weeks i mean within three weeks this was a finished book that's amazing and i was the whole time i was just like kind of like mesmerized at the whole process <laughs> yeah well congrats man thank uh, you it's, it's pretty cool to see it come out so quickly and all of a sudden getting nominated for stuff and yeah naacp image awards nomination and it's now in barnes and noble and Amazon. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, in, in closing, uh, take us back to Story 2016. I, I, my request was that you tell a room full of creators and storytellers uh, some great advice that has been instilled with you based on your journey and your time working for Disney. Uh, what would you, uh, what would you uh, tell all the people listening right now? They're all out there mm, in the middle, advice. in the middle of a, in, a, in the middle of a project, or trying to. F- figure out which project or they're just trying to find the courage to start or they're staring at a blank page like you were talking about yeah. um, or they're they're ready to give up on their Sunday sketches because they've been doing it for six weeks or six Ooh. months or six years and it hasn't led to anything any, any anything what a the first piece of advice yeah. that comes to mind what would you tell them I would say um, uh, I'm the first thing that I thought about was um, a quote from from Nina Simone which is basically to say that it's an artist's duty to reflect the times. Um, and so basically to say that you might be you might be stuck trying to overanalyze what exactly your next step is and all of this stuff. Um, but if you simply just like look around you and like there's there's so much going on in this world right now. Um, it's been a crazy 2016 and there's there's so much to pull from um, in these times that are going on right now. And if, and if you would just use that and reflect the times and, and let what, what is transpiring in the world like influence your art or influence whatever it is that you're creating, it's going to be better. And that's one of the things they're saying right now is that like, you know, in the next four years, um, it may be crazy, but there's going to be a lot of really good art, just because it's going it's going to be a wild ride, and and creative people create some really awesome stuff in in crazy times, and so I would say use it, you know. Yeah, you've you've certainly done an amazing job at that. I think you embody everything that you just said. You're you're definitely walking the talk. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, I told you that was going to be my last question, but one final, <laughs> one other final piece of advice, final number two piece of advice. Um, all those people out there that are like, uh, gosh, like I, I get your passion, Black Lives Matter, like you've contributed, you ended up CNN talking about racial 
discrimination in America? Mm-hmm. What what specific advice? I love asking this question, um, but I I've yet to hear like a lot of really practical answers and ways that the creative community specifically can be involved. So mm-hmm. speak specifically to storytellers. How how can storytellers contribute to establishing a different narrative? Um. Maybe I just answered the question, I guess, by the way that I phrased the question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I would say um, it helps to to understand what the problem is. Um, and a lot of people don't don't see the problems because they don't, you know, it's 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 comfortable to not look at the problems. But like for me, um, specifically, Personally, for me, I one of the things I do is, is go out to Watts every Saturday and, um, you know, help help those communities who aren't really being served. And um, maybe they may be part of the equation that people will look at and say, um, well, where there, there's the problem in society, you know, um, and they'll point to them and say that they're the problem. And if they are the problem, then... Um, it's your job to fix, you know, help fix the problem. So it might, it might simply be, um, you know, teaching them a little bit of what, you know, that they might not be getting in school or, you know, um, just using whatever it is that you do, whatever, whatever talents and whatever, whatever skills and things that were gifted upon you and given to you, um, that, you have to, you have to look and see and realize that not everybody probably got the same benefit that you got so you know either you're gonna you're gonna you know share those gifts with with other people who don't have them or you're gonna keep pointing the finger and saying they're the problem you know so i'd say you know show some show some empathy and see the problem and help fix it be a part of the solution yep yeah I mean, it's amazing. Uh, even if there's still a part of that that small kid that stands in the back of the line staring at his shoes, yep. I always know there's something cool going on in your mind and the the things that you take inside your mind and your heart and express them on a page or a screen. Um, it's amazing. We love the story that you're telling and the story that you're living. So thanks. Thank you, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for the way that you contribute. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. Nicholas, I'm so glad that I got to meet him at Story Conference. It's really fun hearing this conversation and getting to know his journey as an artist. I think one of the things that I took away from this conversation was that quote that he used. I think it said, it's an artist's duty to reflect the times in which we live, which is by Nina Simone. And I think he does that so well, better than any other artist that I know of right now by showing up and posting a piece of art every Sunday on, online. It's, it's really incredible. Yeah. He's a great documenter of the times. Yeah. One of the things I'm noticing as we interview these different higher profile creatives, whether they're a filmmaker who transitioned to YouTube, like Casey Neistat, or they're a Disney Imagineer who takes their Sunday afternoons to do what they call a Sunday sketch is that they're, they're picking this regular time where they're going to commit to the discipline of, making art and telling stories on a regular basis, mm-hmm. whether they feel like it or not. Yeah. Showing up to the mat, even if yeah. there's no inspiration. Yeah. yeah. And he went straight from college to Disney Imagineering. And even though he was working on these amazing projects at Disney, some of his, he would say some of his most significant work has been done in those Sunday sketches that he, that's mm-hmm. how he ended up on CNN. <laughs> they didn't call him to come talk on CNN because he was a Disney Imagineer. They called him because he made this super controversial piece of art with mm. Martin Luther King in a hoodie, you know, because mm. of that port. And, and, and what's interesting is I, I love that he didn't make that art as a political response to the Trayvon Martin case. Mm. He made that piece of art for no one other than himself. It was a gift to the rest of the world. People found out because it helped a lot of people who were feeling the same thing that he was feeling when that happened. Um, but he made it because he had these emotions inside of him 
and he just had to express them somehow. And they came out in that, that piece of work. Mm. Um, so I think there's something to learn there for, for all creators, for Mm. all artists to embrace the discipline, whether you make a vlog every single day, like Casey, whether you feel like it or not, um, or whether you sit down and say, I'm going to, I'm going to make a piece of art every single Sunday, whether it goes viral or not, I'm just going to do it for me because Mm. of the discipline of making something. Um, I think it's a good reminder to all of us. I certainly need to get better at that. Yeah, me too. I need to just choose what my thing is and just say, I'm going to do that because otherwise you get sucked into the hole of email and social media and doing the business side of being a storyteller that you don't devote the regular work of telling stories totally you get so distracted by the business of it you don't remember why you're doing it in the first place yeah Yeah. exactly exactly so super inspirational um if if you're listening to nicholas during the interview talk about the stories behind this all all this art and you haven't seen it yet um definitely go check out his website um it's just nicholas.com there's no um nicholasmith.com or anything like that um his name is spelled slightly uh unique so it's got two k's in it uh, Nicholas is just N-I-K-K-O-L-A-S, N-I-K-K-O-L-A-S. So if you go to nicholas.com, uh, from there you can get to all the social media and check out some of this amazing art that he's created. What is your favorite piece of art on his website? I love his new book, The Girls of Rio, that he yeah. did to honor the girls who went to the Olympics from the U.S. this past year. It's a an incredible book. Yep, we Go have, buy it. Uh, here in the story offices. Yeah, it's I one of our coffee table books. A couple minutes ago, it's here in the story office. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Right next to uh, our conference room here that we record these podcasts in, we've got a little sitting area right inside the front door. Um, and that book is out on the coffee table proudly. And it's mm. autographed by Nick with a little oh, note no to the way. story team. So oh, that's awesome. very cool. Thank you, Nick. Keep up the great work, man. We love all that you're doing. Thank you for telling stories that matter. There's You are not creating art that doesn't lead to some sort of conversation. And that's the best kind of art to create, I think. So thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Um, Give Nick a little shout out. Let him know that you enjoyed this episode. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening.